You're listening to the Deep Energy Literacy Podcast, part of Just Powers, an interdisciplinary and community-engaged network of research projects focused on climate justice issues and socially just approaches to energy transition. I'm Dr. Sheena Wilson, and in this two-part series titled Hashtag Climate Ready Yeg, A Decade in Transition, we sit down with the team from La Cité Résiliente, a bilingual community-based energy transition project aimed at developing community resiliency through community engagement and collaborative practices oriented towards climate justice. In this episode, we have the pleasure of talking to the organizational team from the La Cité Résiliente project, including research coordinator Danica jorgensen Skakem and intern and public outreach coordinator Laurence Maillot, as well as the executive director of La Cité Francophone, Danielle Cournoyer. In our conversation, we discuss the origins and current status of the project, along with some of the exciting things we have learned so far and plans for moving forward. We also talk to the team about their thoughts on climate resiliency, community engagement, and collective action in a time of climate emergency. So good morning, everyone. Thank you very much for being here to do this podcast and to share with everyone how La Cité Résiliente came about. So the first thing that uh, we can do maybe is introduce everybody who's sitting here in the room. We're going to have a little conversation this morning and share with you some some stuff going on in our neighborhood. So, Danielle, do you want to introduce yourself? Well, I'm uh, Danielle Cournoyer. I'm the executive director of La Cité Francophone in the, the building that's hosting this beginning of this initiative and what I'd like to call a road of discovery because on a personal front, it very much is a road of discovery. It's, I think it's something, it's obviously a value that I share personally. And as a community, I think those are things we need to be thinking about. But uh, it, this whole process, the audit, the and what's next, I think it's uh, really fun and it's interesting. And I think it, fundamentally, it's just good to look at these things and really, you know, give them a, a you know, a profound thinking process behind them. So that's great. Yeah, and to think about them together, right, in community as a group. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it's so much easier and more fun to do it that way. Laurence. Um, yeah, so I'm Laurence Mayette. Um, I'm a graduate student in International Strategic Communication in Quebec, and I'm here for three months as the public outreach coordinator for the project. Bienvenue chez nous. Yes, Why? thank you. Thank you for being here. Danny. My name is Danny Jorgensen-Skakem. And I'm the research coordinator for Just Powers, and I'm the quote-unquote meat and potatoes person of the startup of this project. That's one way to describe it. She's the woman who does it all <laughs> in front and behind the scenes. So, Thanks for being there, Danny. Yeah, yeah. I'm, here for, I'm here for you. <laughs> and Laurence, for that matter. And <laughs> Sheena, of course. That's right. And some of our listeners might know that I'm Sheena Wilson. So um, this project is a collaboration between Just Powers and the U of A, um, since I wear both of those hats as the director of Just Powers and as a professor at Campus Saint-Jean in the Bonnie Dune neighborhood. And it's a collaboration between the campus for the moment, and La Cité Francophone, but it has visions of being bigger. So for the moment, it's called La Cité Résiliente, but we really have visions of transforming it into a community-wide project that maybe spreads or is a model for other things going on in the city. Not to say we're the only ones. There's lots of cool stuff happening in other neighborhoods around the city. So I thought, Danielle, you and I could talk a little bit about how this came about starting way back, I think, a few years ago when I... When you first joined the board, and I think, you know, knowing your background and what you're bringing to the table, uh, you know, new perspectives, and I think as um, 
I think just as a cultural center in whole story, I'm going to jump right into it. But, you know, we need to always look as a community center because La Cité Francophone is a 104,000 square foot uh, community center that houses a theater, uh, multi-purpose rooms, and as well as 38 community-based organizations. So we always looking for ways to make uh, efficiencies within our operations of La Cité Francophone and uh, obviously a big part of that and the big changing one in, in the last few years has been electrical costs and how do we actually manage that for the future to keep our, our op costs affordable for our tenants and as, as a building to keep our bu- building viable. And I, I think a lot of what you're bringing to the table is pushing the board to think in those ways because I, I, unfortunately, and fortunately you're there, and unfortunately I don't think it's something we give a lot of consideration. And I think especially in the current economic climate or political climate, you know, where we're just seem to be putting everything into one basket and we're, you know, we look at this oil and gas as being the be all and end all, yet we have all this beautiful sun, we have all this beautiful wind in this province, I think, and as a city, I think we need to, we need to look at different things. Yeah, from my perspective, you know, I I, I joined the board of uh, La Cité uh, because you asked me to, and it was it was interesting. I I've been involved at La Cité for a long, long time. I think you saw me in the halls all the time, picking and dropping off my kids and other things, working across the street, hanging out at Café Bicyclette, right? So I was happy to join, and it was interesting because for a long time I'd had this vision that the francophone community could be leaders in energy transition and climate justice because. Francophones are very politically organized in uh, in the province of Alberta, right? They've fought for school boards and they've fought for language rights and all sorts of things. And so I thought we need to really, you know, mobilize this community around these very important issues. And then serving on the board, there were just really interesting practical things happening, right? Air conditioners had to be replaced. We were making a lot of decisions that had financial implications. And I was noticing how much it actually costs just to keep the lights on, literally. I mean, I know that's an expression, but it was a bit shocking to me how much it costs just to keep the lights on. You know, so it came up a few times. And one thing that I wanted to to talk through was just the idea that I felt that you were receptive to this because I had heard you say other things about your vision, uh, you wanted to have a cafe that subsidized the theater or a theater that subsidized the cafe or whatever that that whole vision for La Cité Francophone was. I thought that you were a receptive audience to this idea of thinking through climate justice together as a community. So do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about that approach to managing the building? I, well, I think there's many things there. I mean, I think uh, l'union fait la force or, you know, by being de- being together, we're stronger. And uh, I think when you look at a building, I think too often... And there's some very practical business ways of looking at things, but I think as a community center, you need to look at it more holistically, and you got to look at how can we generate um, how can we generate money, for lack of a better term, to make our center even more viable. And the state francophone, even before I arrived, is very already very progressive in its in its. Um, and the way that it was formed, that it's supposed to be a cultural, a community, and a business center, a commercial center as well. So there's always been these three elements. But over time, we learn what works and doesn't work so well and whatnot. So the creation of Café Bicyclette was part of this vision of giving people reasons to come to the French Cultural Centre, Lesté. And I think for the longest time, we were a beautiful office building, but we weren't truly a cultural centre. And it's because we were kind of waiting for somebody 
to run with it. And I, when I came, and of course I have 20 years of, of theater background and whatnot, so I, I had many, many hours sitting in Leste when it was dark and nobody was there or we were in the theater and after five o'clock nothing was going on and I thought, there's got to be more we can do. And, you know, and then I think within our cultural environment, we have to create opportunities to let people in. And this is part of my, just my thinking in the last few years has been cultural centers tend to be silos and we tend to close in on ourselves. And as being a proud Franco-Albertan, a proud Albertan, a proud Canadian, I thought we got to give people reasons to come in here. So Café Bicyclette on one side was part of that thinking of giving people reasons to come, just like uh, Galerie Cité, which is our public visual art gallery, is another reason to give people reasons to come. The farmer's market was another reason to give, give giving people reasons to come. And then the creation of the Flying Canoe, Canoe Valin, the winter festival, uh, was also a way to become this kind of lighthouse or this beacon of you're looking for French services, you're looking for French opportunities, come towards Lestie Francophone. We have the Campus Saint-Jean, of course, right across the street, but the Campus has a very specific role in the sense that it's a post-secondary educational uh, facility, but it's not, and it plays different cult, um, community roles, but it doesn't play the same role that Lestie can play. So bringing all those things and kind of brainstorming it within my own brain and the storms that go on in there, Going back to the idea of creating Café Bicyclette, well, Café Bicyclette, the idea was the bicycle. And why the bicycle was because it's what reunites us throughout the world. If there's a common way of transport, I think worldwide, it's the bicycle. We essentially all learn to ride a bike somewhere along our trajectory. And it's cross-cultural because we're a multicultural French facility. Um, and you know we, we're talking about our diff, our growth and our expansion of, in, in particular, the African communities. Um, so there's that element. I also thought of the green element of Café Bicyclette in the sense that it's a healthy way. It's a way that you warrant your croissant when you come in, <laughs> you can justify it sort of thing. But it was also the idea behind it is also to be a generator, that it pay, pays for itself, not only it's for itself, but it offsets some of the costs of the building. So it's like running a business within this cultural facility, but that business there is to is to feed the various needs of the community, whether under it's social uh, and whether they're economic or whatnot. So those all those factors kind of come in the role of Café Bicyclette, and I think on a larger role, La Cité Francophone, we have our, our Franco-specific events that are very much for French-speaking Francophones, but I think we also need and we must play a role of promoting French culture in existence and our, our beautiful history that we have in Western Canada. And those things are easily lost. We're a young society when we compare it to the rest of Canada. And I think those are things that we got to be able to feel comfortable to tell our own story. And and La Cité Résiliente is, is once again, like you said, we are very well structured and organized. And, and my implications over the years in the arts community is I really did realize that like we're very well structured and we have organizations and, and people representing different sectors of society within La Cité Francophone. But how do we harness all that But and how do we make it stronger? So all those things kind of feed my thought process and, my, and as we go forward and we create different events or we support or we partner with and La Cité Résiliente is a big part of what's going on, I think, worldwide. I mean, yesterday we had the big tech energy announcement and 
I mean, they were underlining within it, and the political leaders of this time can deny all they want in this province, but I think at the fact of the matter, they said, is we need a real climate plan, and energy cannot be created without a climate plan in today's society. And all those things kind of feed my thought process, and um, we're happy with La Cité Résiliente because through our different initiatives, once again, we've created different community partnerships, whether they're with the Bonnie Dune Community League, whether they're with the City Arts and Cultural Community, or whether they're with Campus Saint-Jean, Rutherford School across the street, La Santa Santé, all those things factor in. And I'm a big community believer, I think, Community is what makes life the most interesting, and it's those human connections and how we can help each other out. Yeah, and certainly La Cité does function that way. I mean, it's it's certainly a destination location for a lot of people, not just francophones. And so that's one reason that Bonnie Dune seemed an appealing place to run a project like this, because it has La Cité francophone, but it also has a Bonnie Dune community league. It has the, the uh, francophone campus of the University of Alberta. It has the schools and the senior centers and the schizophrenia society and the youth emergency shelter and all of these things. So it's it's been a great partnership so far. How this came about is that we applied for a grant as partners. So there's an infrastructure grant in which um, La Cité put up La Cité put up uh, $30,000, right, yeah. in matching funds and then got actually at this point several grants. And I think that's sort of also where Danny comes into the story here because Danny uh, and Danielle and I and many people, all of these kinds of projects take a lot of people, but maybe Danny would like to speak a little bit to the kinds of funds that we first went after and how all of that came about. Yeah. Um, so we applied for the Alberta EcoTrust EcoCity grant and that is provided in part through the city of Edmonton and Edmonton Community Foundation and um, also by Alberta EcoTrust. And so the grant that we applied for was the Infrastructure Acceleration Grant. And that is a grant that is designed to make significant energy retrofits to a building basically, Um, but that's only one part of the grant. The main goal, the big goal is really to build community resilience and um, prepare communities for climate adaptation through what you're, whatever you're doing to the building that you've applied for or the infrastructural adjustments that you're making. So we were really pleased to get almost $50,000 for that grant. And like Sheena said, uh, La Cité very generously matched about $30,000 of that. And Sheena's Just Powers research project kicked in about $12,000 in kind. And since then, we've also applied for um, an energy benchmarking audit grant through, I think it's called Energy Benchmarking for Buildings or something like that with the City of Edmonton. And um, that is a very interesting grant because they're building it on other communities around the world that have really committed to energy benchmarking. And they find even just by getting people to pay attention to the energy that they use in their buildings and to have to report it, and in many municipalities it is required to report, um, they find that energy use actually decreases. And so the city of Edmonton has embarked on a voluntary benchmarking process and a number of major um, buildings and organizations are involved. And so by being part of that, they are willing to contribute money towards an energy audit, ASHRAE Level 2. Um, But they are also hoping that we will report our energy use at La Cité for the following years, and they can kind of track to see what contributions our project is making to um, building energy use. And so that's really exciting. 
And then through a miraculous twist of fate, we uh, were approached by Young Canada Works um, and Danielle very nicely sent them over to us um, for this project. And so we had the option to bring in a co-op student to work on this project. And we completed a number of interviews, but then Laurence came along and um, we were so excited. Like we just told everyone, we were like, you are so amazing. You have all of these skills. You are um, so competent and like so driven and so knowledgeable. And um, yeah, so we were super excited that you accepted our offer, Laurence. Yes, I was very excited to... to, uh to be hired for this internship as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I just wanted to comment a little bit like on the way the momentum builds for a project like this. I mean, one of the things that I feel also is worth commenting on because other communities that might be thinking about doing this think, you know, we don't have the manpower for this or our community center doesn't have that. And I think I saw that too on the board because it's not as though this was the first time I had ever raised the issue of energy transition or asked about solar panels. And I know there were earlier initiatives and things that had gone on at least last year. But, you know, quite honestly, you run a pretty tight ship. There's not a lot of people working with you or for you at La Cité. And really a lot of these community projects just need more manpower. And so where there was this possibility to create solidarities, we did that. And um, and I think that it, you know, then one, if you can just put in a little bit of energy <laughs> together, you're doing much more as a team. And then all of a sudden, all of these other things came to fruition. We didn't know all of this would happen at first. We were just going after one grant and then it starts to snowball after a while. So I, I feel like that's kind of like a good news hope story for other communities that are thinking, how do we get started, right? But I think the point is just to get started sometimes and just throw some woman power, as it might be, into the mix, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, Laurence, um, since you got here, you've been working very intensely full-time, right? Mm-hmm. You've been the person working full-time for the last many weeks now. And maybe you want to comment on what, uh, you know, what you encountered when you arrived and then how things are going. Well... When I arrived, my first um, kind of diagnosis of the project was what is what that it was really um, spread out, like the concept. And uh, you know, the one of the main thing of this project is uh, bringing people together. So we have to convince them. Um, and so, to me, one of the first thing we had to do was like clarifying what we were doing, um, or structuring our thoughts or um, or ideas. Um, so yeah, that's one of the first things I did. So I thought we, uh, it was a good idea to give it a name, La Cité Résiliente, to give it more of an identity um, and uh, create a hype around the, around the project. And um, You've been meeting everyone. I mean, meeting a lot yes. of people, meeting people. Yes. This is why we were really also excited for you to come is that it takes just a lot of yeah. legwork, a lot of pounding the pavement and going and meeting people and mm-hmm. encouraging them and telling them they don't have to be technical experts, right? Yes. I, I think it's, I, I like to say that it takes a lot of poking. Um, like you really have to be persistent because I think, um, you know, everyone's busy. Everyone has many projects. And so even though they're interested by the idea of climate resiliency and organizing around um, energy transition, um, you it takes a lot of time. You have to speak with people. You have to um, engage with them and uh, meet them face to face, really. So that's what I've been doing mainly. 
Yeah, we're very happy Laurence is here because when she says, you know, the idea was a bit spread out, it's because in my mind, we're already in 2030 and we're like meeting IPCC targets in our neighborhood <laughs> and all of these things. But there's just a few steps in between now and then. So, <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe Danny, you want to talk a little bit about uh, the original launch and learn that we had back in November. Yeah. Okay. So when we proposed the grant, um, we had committed to doing a series of workshops, um, bilingual workshops involving the community in different conversations about climate resilience and adaptation. And we also committed to documenting those processes and uh, also to producing some outputs so that uh, the project could be replicable in other communities across Edmonton or beyond that as well. And so we set out um, and kind of acquired a growing number of architects and engineers on the project, some really fantastic architects and engineers who specialize in sort of future-proofing, and we can talk about what that means. Um, but to really get started, we had our launch and learn on November 23rd, 2019, and we invited um, all members of the Bonnie Dune community and of... Um, the La Cité building to come and we had a really interesting conversation. We got mostly residents from the area and mostly Anglophone residents and they were very interested in this idea of a community coalition and the reason that that came up is because uh, the Solar Power Investment Cooperative of Edmonton was our major partner for that event and they did a fabulous workshop on community benefits of solar power and what it could look like uh, as they're sort of developing their program as well for solar investments. And they concluded the day, you know, after getting us all excited about solar panels and the solar energy and what that could look like for um, community building and how we can actually come together. So that was our first step. Yeah, and I think that um, it's interesting to think about community benefits because it shifts how you think about a project. Even uh, even on the board, people said, "Well, sure, why wouldn't we do this?" You know, you know, if it's if it's less expensive, let's go for it. And I think we have to think sometimes too about the fact that it might not be less expensive, but there might be other benefits. And if we think about benefits instead of profits, we can think about who owns those benefits, right? How do any you know any benefits come back to the community? For example, if you're paying less in electricity, are you investing that money then into cultural programming or into your cafe or into your canoeva or into your daycare, right? So these are things that we're thinking through as a community. I think that at that first event too, it was really nice to see the way um, the community was already, I think, connecting and skill sharing. There were quite a lot of people in the room who had either done this kind of project or wanted to embark on this kind of project. And you could see that sort of sharing happening um, organically in the room. And then we had a second um, workshop just very recently, and Laurence uh, was the main organizer of that event. And do you want to talk a little bit about who came to that event? Because we really are trying to get as many voices at the table as possible, right? We're really trying to think intersectionally about what a just future would look like. And so um, we had a different cohort of people at the second workshop. Yeah, for this workshop, it was really about getting... Um, the most people we can um, so that we could have all voices, all um, perspectives. We Then we can see who's missing from the room. We can see the first ideas, uh, what comes up. And so this was a way to give a direction to the project. Um, so it was also an opportunity to um, 
to really explain the project to the people in a clear way because, you know, sometimes it's um, you hear small bits of the project. So, yeah, it was a great way to uh, to show the community that we're really involving them in the process. Yeah, I like this little story about when you got the call from the CBC reporter and they said, how are we sure that it's really a consultation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, just tell them we have no real agenda and not a lot of money. Like leadership needs to emerge here from the community. We're really looking to hear what the community yeah. wants. Because I can tell you what I want from this project and like what I think is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of those things have driven the project in the early stages, this idea that we would show what it looks like at the community level to align with IPCC goals and other things. But actually, when we were there, so many interesting things mm-hmm. emerged that, of course, we can't think about alone or by ourselves or in a bubble. And like many of the women at the table that I was sitting with, for example, are, um, you know, Franco Albertans who were there when the building was built or somehow part of the community. And they had all sorts of knowledge about the history of how the building came to be and things that they wanted to see from the place where they spend, you know, a huge percentage of their day. And so mm-hmm. that that for me was really rewarding. I don't know. Did anybody want to comment on other things that came out well, from I- that cons- that workshop from that workshop. Well, that workshop. Well, I thought it was just a beautiful cross-section of community members, like Francophone community members, absolutely, but then of engineers and specialists and and uh, trying to think of some of the other the people. Yes. The yes. Youth Emergency Services were there. Uh, just this beautiful cross-section of community leaders and community players. Uh, we had a representation as well from the seniors uh, complex just down the way. And I just thought it was a great opportunity, one for Les Steve Francophone to once again open its doors and invite everybody in on a larger conversation. But I mean, that was a big, that I think it, that's a great piece of the work that Laurence has done so far is, I mean, I remember after the day I said, great job because I thought, wow, I would have never thought on a mid, you know, it was Tuesday that we would have so many people out and so many people engaged and getting people to think that way. And I think we see how many people around the table are actually quite supportive and curious on how this project's going to develop. And I think that's that's a win right there. Like principals from nearby schools, right? We got... That's right. We had Rutherford School, Simon Williams was there, and just a beautiful cross-section of of community leaders and community players and uh, talking about climate, which I must admit, you know, it's, those are, think, uh, I thought those are conversations we have at home and we have as families, but I think we rarely have opportunities as a community and a smaller community, like we're just talking about a certain segment within the city of Edmonton, but to actually have these larger conversations of what this will look like. And I found out where all the holes of La Cité Francophone are from the initial analysis. And now I'm going, okay, oots, my maintenance is slipping. I better fix all those seals around the doors and uh, fix that hole that Shafraz keeps talking about. Though I'm sure it's not the size of a dollar, but it's uh, of a loony, it's more of a size of a dime. But anyway, I'll have to go up there and take a look for myself. But <laughs> I thought it was just a great, great start and a way to include that communauté francophone, the francophone community, and the greater community as well. Yeah, I was actually really impressed that I don't think a single person left before lunch and almost every person stayed and ate lunch and chatted and talked and really seemed invested. And I think that that's one of the sort of myths that perpetuates our fractious communities is that we think we can't talk about climate change, that it's too taboo. But for those people not living in Edmonton or maybe for those people not even really paying attention, it is interesting to think that the city itself has a campaign called Change 
change for climate, right? And that we all have to change for climate. And that actually when they did the analysis about whether that would be a good communication strategy or not, they found out that like 70, 75% of Edmontonians are really worried about climate change, but they don't want to talk about it because it's too taboo, right? They don't want to bring it up. It would be um, a little bit like talking, I don't know, religion or politics or something. It's just not the thing you do in the 21st century in Alberta, right? But we're finding out that is actually not the case. And many people are thinking about these things very meaningfully, right? And really excited. But not in the same way. And I think that's something that we've been finding on this project. And Laurence can probably speak to that too. But everyone is willing to talk about climate, but not necessarily in the same way. So someone might be talking about it in terms of climate emergency. That may be a really problematic term for another person who is more concerned about um, energy resilience. And then there's someone who uh, just wants to make sure that their, their stakeholders are at the table in conversations about moving the community forward. Do you have any thoughts, Laurence? Well, yeah, maybe what I what I see since I started working on the project is that everyone is ready to do something. Everyone is aware of the statistics, uh, the fact that, like, you know, we're going to have extreme weather, that we need to do something. Um, but it's uh, it's another thing to organize and to uh, to transform this uh, this willingness to actual actions. Oh, yeah. Can I ask Laurence a question? Go for it. I'm just it. going. Yes. I mean, you're you're. I mean, you're the person coming in, and I'm sure in coming from Quebec, that is mm-hmm. can be quite active and very politically organized and whatnot. But when you when you're coming to Alberta to work on a climate resilience project and whatnot, I'd, I'd be curious to hear what your what your perspective was, and maybe how that's changed or hasn't changed since you've arrived here. Of you know, what Alberta is perceived as and yeah. actually as a community, what's actually going on? Well, for sure, it was like, um, it was always funny uh, to tell people, yeah, I'm going to Alberta to uh, for a climate change project for climate resiliency because, you know, it's a bit, sometimes it can be politically tense between Quebec and Alberta. Um, it's, it, it is seen as it like, as this patrol state, uh, patrol province. I know that it's always more nuanced than that. And uh, the thing that surprises me the most about Edmonton is the the many community initiatives. Like it's uh, just the community leagues is an amazing thing to me. And I wish I could bring this back with me to Quebec because um, in organizing on climate change, climate res- uh, resiliency, it's like you're one step ahead. You have like the structure and the, the connections to um, to take actions. So, yeah, that's what I've I've seen. Yeah, and so what actions are next for us, Laurence? You know that you know our schedule here. What are we up to next? <laughs> next steps. Um, well, we need to um, to identify like the the bigger con- constituents and see what kind of partnerships we can establish. Like. Um, you know, between La Cité, between the U of A, between uh, the Bonnie Dune Community League, the schools across the street. Um, everyone needs to uh, get at the same table. And um, what I want to say is, like, uh, commit. People need to really commit. Like, we say we want to do things, but, well, now we need everyone to commit and uh, put energy on the project. Good one. 
Yeah, I like this comment about how people want to take action, but they have to commit and, you know, commit some energy to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, two people just don't know what the next step is. So the best way to figure out what the next steps are is often just to get involved mm-hmm. in a project like this. And I hope that we can serve possibly as a model. But also, if you're doing something really fantastic out there, please get a hold of us and let us <laughs> know, right? I also want to point out that this project, you know, the way we're all talking about it is, I think, very transformative of the neighborhood. But then just to bring it back to practicalities is that, you know, the grant that we have committed to really is to do some retrofitting on the building for La Cité Francophone and to make a strategic plan for the building from here to 2030 so that we can take advantage of subsidies and other things and reinvest back into the building in smart ways because we have a holistic plan for how to best approach and tackle um, what you know what kinds of maintenance and upkeep and, and retrofitting needs to happen. So that's also a practical, manageable thing that we can do. And then beyond that, we can continue to foster those relationships. So I think it's also good to think about bite-size bite-size pieces and things that we can accomplish and so you think even simpler than that the city's real interest with this grant is carbon emission reduction and that's their main focus and that's something that we've committed to and also knowledge sharing right so another thing that we did commit to was to document this and to share what we're doing so this podcast is all part of that so um be in touch and share our podcast is all I have to say. Um, you know, I also uh, run another project uh, called IDOC. And over the last number of years, we've done many, many interviews. And when we finish those interviews, I always ask every person the same question. And that question is basically, um, what do you want from the future? Not what you think will happen, but what do you want the future to look like? And so I'll ask you all that question in a little bit more specific way about what do you want from this project and what do you want for the future of our shared communal lives over in Bonnie Dune and the Francophone Cartier Francophone and and in Edmonton more broadly. What do I want? I mean, I one of the things I'm already getting is knowledge. I'm gaining knowledge. Um, I would like to see uh, for La Cité a better um, use of energy, a better consumption. And I'm very curious to see what our plan is going to look like and what 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 we think is achievable in the short term and whether and uh, the risk and reward because I think there's always elements there's financial commitments that will be we'll have to take but you know evaluating what those risks and rewards are because I think technology is always evolving very quickly and and the returns on that so there's that part of my managerial side that I've got to think about but I think as a community and as a as a province as a whole I'd really love us to get to a point where we can talk about energy on all levels and we can talk about green energies and we can talk about petroleum energies and how those balance out and in the sense of holistically. Um, You know, I think very often when we do these projects, people think you're anti-something. And I don't, that's not what I'm feeling from this project is we're not anti-oil, to say the obvious, but at the same time, it's, but there's a better way that we can consume energy and there's a better way that we can balance it out. And I think as much as I have my own personal ideas and value systems that are, are there, it's how you can influence that and, and use La Cité uh, and the Campus Saint-Jean, Rutherford School and all our different community and the Community League. How can we become an example of a great a great neighborhood because great neighborhoods are great walking communities. They have pl- places where people can run into each other and have great discussions, but then, you know, great communities is how are we working together? And as I've been involved with La Cité and the French Quarter Business Improvement Area, 
I believe everything's a community. You have a business community, but what is that relationship? And it's fostering those relationships. And then how we can create positives and we can grow. And status quo isn't good enough. So those are some of the positives I'm looking for. And I think as, and I also live in Bonnie Dune. So I have a vested interest as a, a resident of Bonnie Dune to see this go ahead and just make us really this great place to be. Thank you. Yeah. Laurence, what do you want to see when you come back in a few years? This thing you started and made mm-hmm. happen, what do you what do you want to see from it? Well, I'm hoping that um, like every community members will be aware of everything that ties them together and how they can like, you know, when you talk about climate resiliency, it's really about helping each other. And uh, we... Um, I think the neighborhoods and the cities can really take leadership. There's such a great potential um, to find a way, uh, a different way of living together that is better for everyone. Yep, I agree. I love the tagline for the project, climate change is about caring for each other. Mm -hmm. Danny? You're also a resident of Bonnie Dune. I am also a resident of Bonnie Dune, and I'm trying to become a permanent resident of Bonnie Dune this week. Um, so let's hope that that goes through. Otherwise, this will just be a sad eulogy for that dream. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my hopes for the future of Bonnie Dune, when we were talking about the community consultation slash workshop uh, that we just had, a lot of people brought up safety and community inclusion and those sorts of feelings that Laurence was speaking to. And the way I shorthand that is by talking about swings that adults can use. And it sounds really funny and really cute, but um, I think generally in our communities, we see this push to increasingly segregate the different populations who live there. And so more and more playgrounds, for instance, are being built um, for very small children and not for teenagers because they don't want teenagers hanging out in the park. Um, But we have a community uh, that has the youth empowerment um, society in our midst. And so I do want a place where those teens can feel safe because one of the concerns that they expressed, their, um, their, what would that be, spokesperson expressed is that they don't feel safe. And safety came up over and over again. And so I think a community that is really inclusive down at the infrastructural level, um, I think one that is accessible because Bonnie Dune is not necessarily going towards accessibility for low-income folks. And um, I think that with the new Bonnie Dean development that's coming in, I would like to see a lot more equity um, passed throughout all of the different stakeholders and residents and um, community users. Because as residents, I mean, even if you don't know anything about the history of Cafe Bicyclette, I mean, you still feel ownership over that, right? Because that's where you meet your neighbors. That's where you go for a coffee. That's where your in-laws will go if they're in town and they need breakfast, right? So it's a very special community and I'm excited to see what the future holds. Thank you. Yeah, I. that's interesting. You brought up the Bonnie Dune development too, because another interesting thing that we all, that came up quite a bit at the consultation is people's concerns over how that Bonnie Dune mall is being replaced and what's happening over there. Um, but, you know, being on this project, I think also deepens what I want from the future of that community. So I have uh, worked there in that neighborhood since 2004 and spent a lot of time in the neighborhood. And um, it's, it was it was really interesting to hear the way people move very quickly from worrying about 
energy retrofits to thinking through community relationships and rooftop terraces and green gardens and entirely changing the architectural makeup of the neighborhood so that all the roofs would either face south or have a garden or and I and I just think about how the entire neighborhood physically could look quite different and how people were talking about very joyful things terraces and swings and getting together and creating that common space and La Cité represents that for a lot of people and I think that we could uh, do even better and that um, it was fun and exciting and I think that the future um, could be all of those things but could also be very different and so what I want from the future is that we think in very intersectional ways, that we connect with Indigenous partners, that we think about the fact that we live on stolen lands, that we think about, you know, the very, very diverse neighbourhood that we're living in that has lots of Francophones, but lots of um, people from all over the world and, you know, lots of seniors with accessibility issues, the schizophrenia society that we're really a a welcoming and warm neighbourhood where we all do better in life because we're just a little more resilient for knowing our neighbours and being able to work together. Absolutely. I also would, this might make it or make not make it, but I I think when we look at our community and one of the people that was at the, uh, our open house or our whatever, our workshop, um, you know, Effect Homes that are based, which is a company dedicated to uh, energy efficiency and housing. And I just thought their participation there the other, at our workshop the other day is, I mean, that's somebody that's already in the community and one of the partners in that organization lives in the neighborhood and has built uh, a net zero house. And I think those are just all fascinating things. And the more we can share those stories with community members, you know, that will you know, that will go beyond Bonnie Dune and it will be in Strather and it will be in King Edward and will be over in, in your neck, neck in of the woods. In Forest Heights, yeah, forest come heights. on, Forest Heights. As far as Effect Home Builders go, though, um, when we had a power outage last winter, Effect Homes had power still. And so it's like, how can we think about that in terms of climate resilience and tapping into those sorts of resiliency measures? Yeah, because one thing that came up, or, you know, jokingly, these things often come up jokingly, but there's a, a serious kernel to them. Somebody said, oh, yeah, I'm really happy if we get a, like a kind of district energy project happening at uh, La Cité or in the neighborhood, as long as I can, you know, grab some power for that to power my house. Said, That's entirely possible. We can think in these ways, right? We can reclaim back the energy infrastructures. But as we do those things, as we claim back energy, networks and and reclaim the power that comes with ownership. It also means that we have to be careful that we're, um, that everybody has access to energy and that there's energy equity, right? Because some people might be left in the cold and in the dark as we weaken the grid. So there's all sorts of very complicated machinations behind this, but um, city, the city council is thinking about these things and it's important to put the right kinds of pressure also on city councillors who have um, the ability to think through these issues with a broader bird's eye view. And one of the things I would like to add to that is how much we depend on our infrastructure or existing infrastructure. And, and I'll just use an example. Within La Cité Francophone, we'll have a power outage for whatever reason in the neighbourhood, whether it's a construction issue or whatnot, and all of a sudden the power goes out. And I'm perplexed and, and amazed how lost people are as soon as your computer doesn't turn on. And I literally had people ask me as the building executive director or manager saying, can we go home? And I'm going, 
what you can take a notepad and still you can still write, can't you? But how we depend on that. And then last year during the Flying Canoe Valin Festival, there was a power outage at minus 30, 30 degrees in the morning. And you kind of go, and it was a major area of the city. And I'm going, how long can a city really survive at minus 35 for a long period of time? And if we go back to Quebec and we look at the uh, the ice storm uh, mm-hmm. and, and whatnot and how people are affected. And my point is, is that we rely so much on this, is that by creating these smaller hubs, we are indeed more resilient because we can we can be more independent of these mega infrastructures that we rely so much on. And I, I think people don't realize that we need power for everything that we essentially that runs in our house. And uh, what is what are those secondary options? And right now, there isn't too much resiliency or options out there. So to my point that life is organized around the energy systems that power us, so we better take back the power, people. That's right. Have a good breakfast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to all of you for coming and talking on the podcast. And thank you for all of this amazing teamwork and all the people behind you, too, that are contributing to this. So um, thank you very much. I can't wait to see what we manage to do together here. Thank you for listening to the Deep Energy Literacy Podcast. Be sure to visit justpowers.ca to learn more about these projects, access resources, and discover related content. Just Powers is made possible by support from a number of organizations, including but not limited to Future Energy Systems Canada First Research Excellence Fund, the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the Cool Institute of Advanced Study, Campus Saint-Jean, the University of Alberta, and Alberta Ecotrust. This series of the Deep Energy Literacy Podcast is produced by Jesse Beyer and recorded and mixed by Catlin W. Cusick at Sublet Sound in Edmonton, Alberta.